0: Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Disky Discussions. I'm your host, AB Vasson. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Grant James-Smith. The tactical side of the game is your cup of tea. Well, fasten your seatbelt and get ready for an informative podcast. Grant is a well-known technical and performance analyst that has worked extensively in South African football over the last decade and is currently studying towards his A4A coaching license. Grant, thanks for joining me on Disky Discussions. Um, I've tried to have you on the podcast for... A few months i'd say uh, so it's great to have you on um for those that don't know know you and the work you do what are you involved with these days i know you're doing your uefa a license if i'm not mistaken um apart from that what do you do obviously some coaching some tactical and analytical work um yeah thanks for joining me
1: yeah thanks AB. i've been listening to your part and really really enjoying it but i think mostly i've been recommending people i want to hear your interview than actually <laughs> appearing so yeah it's good to be on it um yeah, so I'm doing my UFA licence. Um, obviously, it's you know slightly different with COVID. Um, you can't actually travel overseas to do these courses. But thankfully, at least the, the, the FA that I'm doing it with the Scottish FA, they are, have sort of been really accommodating. So yeah, I'm still managing to do it. Um, we're doing most of it sort of online. Um, the lectures are being done on Zoom instead of you know in person as they would be in, in Edinburgh. And then some of the practicals as well on the field, They've also made a good plan in terms of um you I'm gonna be recording some of my own coaching sessions, and then we'll have peer review with you know some of the, the other candidates assessing my sessions, me assessing theirs, with a, you know, with a tutor overseeing everything. Um so they're doing everything they can to instead of having um, you know, 50 coaches together and everyone playing in each other's sessions, actually using your own team and still finding a way to keep moving forward because I mean, we really have no idea when. When we'll be able to travel, especially South Africans, and there are a fair few South Africans who've who've taken this route through Scotland. So, yeah, I'm busy with your FA license. Um, so that's obviously a big, you know, big thing just to get that qualification. Um, of course, naturally, like I've done my I've done my local courses as well. Like I did my CAF-B license a few years back, but I sort of stopped pursuing that route a bit because um, they, they they sort of stopped running courses as often, and I've struggled to get onto the next onto the cafe license. Um, as far as I know, it's been a few years since they've run one. And um, so yeah, I've got I went to sort of the European route to try and get the, that qualification. Um, and yeah, my background, I mean, uh, I've been working in football in some capacity since I finished school. Mm. Obviously, like everyone who starts in football, I've had jobs in all sorts of other industries as well. You know, um, at the same time, you know, whether it's working in sales or um, I went to the States for a bit to just to do like a country club sort of experience. Um, And I've had various jobs, but yeah, I'd say I've been full-time in football, like having made that be my only job since 2012. And then before that obviously between finishing school up until then I was, um, I was more part-time, you know, earning money from coaching courses and bits of work there and there, but, um, I'd say full-time in football since, since 2012
0: so you you started in football at stats if I'm not mistaken um what exactly are we involved with stats and you obviously progressed over a few years there and then also started uh, getting involved at X Cape Town i think you left X when by the time i arrived there in what was it 2017 i think you'd already left um are mm. uh, we involved at IX yeah. and at stats over the years
1: yeah so i mean when i finished school and i, I went to eta and i did um Sports coaching science um, certificates, and then it took quite a few years to actually start earning a salary in football that I could that I could live off, or that I could at least you know make enough money from to not have to work other jobs. So I went, I started stats in twenty twelve, um, and I was a, like a coder, which is essentially the person who clips the games. Um, so you, it takes about six to eight hours to to watch the game to clip all the events, so the shots, the crosses, the passes, the pitch locations that all these events are happening in and yeah so basically from there i just did that for a few months um and i mean this is the route that a lot of people in south african football have done working for the company before it was stats it was called you know a and then it became Prozone, and then it became stats but it was all generally the same company in south africa just being merged or bought over by other companies um so we've you know obviously uh there's guys like um wesley sogo at selenbos the assistant coach now he came through um you know there's loads of the Sundance analysts will come through, um, working through ProZone working for Prozone. Um there was Ryan Jacobs, who was um assistant coach to Benny McCarthy at Cape Town City last season. He's also from there. Um most of the PSR clubs who have analysts have guys who work for Prozone at some point. So I was there, I was with Stats for um until, for about six years. Um I left there, I think the end of 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Um and then when I was there, I worked in I did various things. I was you know, first working as a as a coder, so on the South African League and the, and, and Syria, uh, so obviously you know taking six to eight hours to to watch a game, you kind of really get into the nitty gritty of it. You can see positional changes, tactical changes really well. Um, and then from there, I started doing some analysis work. So I worked for some PSL clubs, um, always remotely. So I did work for Free State Stars, some work for Ajax, um, doing opposition analysis. So watching the last few games that the team played, putting together reports with. Um, pdfs and video reports that would get sent in you know back then sort of over dvd because um not, not all the clubs had really good good uh, internet connections back then and yeah the coach would then watch that and help sort of formulate his game plan also did a lot of media work while i was there so um sort of using the data to provide to media houses um giving some context to it um putting some tactical insights behind it because obviously you know just data by itself can be a bit misleading without the the context added in. You know, why did a team have very little possession, or why did why does one team you know make a lot of tackles and another team doesn't? You know, whatever it might be, there's always that context that needs to be added into it. Um, and then yeah, so I was I was a stat, and then while I was there, I, I got a part-time job at Ix Cape Town. So I was a team manager initially. So you know, I was doing things like um, filling out the team sheets, um, being there on match days, for all that type of stuff. But it was a great experience because. Um, the, the, co- the, the team I was working with was coached by Mahir Davids. And he was, um, even though I was a team manager, he was extremely open with his his time and his advice. Let me have even a bit of insight on match days, which is quite rare for team managers to have. And obviously I, was, I tried to attend as many sessions as I could because his training sessions were great so I could learn from him. And then after a year doing that, I became an assistant coach working with an actual team. And um, and I, was, I think I did that for three years. So I was working with under 14 and under 15 age groups. Uh, Worked with some really good coaches um, like Justin Hamburger and Ian Taylor and so forth. Um, Ian Taylor less so because he was more sort of advising the youth at that stage, but really good coaches. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, I loved it there. I did eventually decide to move on. Um, I was a bit busy with another consulting job I'd taken, and I sort of changed a few things that I didn't really think were necessarily going to work out that well, um, basically without getting into too much there. IX has always sort of played um age up. So the under 13 team would play on 40, you know, in the under 14 league, the under 14 would play and under 15 league, and so forth. Obviously, because you want to have, you know, you want to have a challenge on a on a Saturday, you want to have tight games, you want to test the players. So um the club decided to switch that to play age against age again. Um I think partly just to sort of, you know, have a clean sweep of winning all the leagues and all the cups. And I didn't really think that made sense because it was kind of prioritizing results or pr or sort of over development yeah um so anyway i decided to leave and um uh, yeah end up moving on and I, I mean i'd love to go back at some points obviously and it's new guys but um yeah just just was probably the right time
0: tell me a bit about capturing stats uh you know we always log on to flash call or Soccerway or whatever you like to use um and we saw you know, we see the position stats we see the shots on target um, for those who don't know, how does it get captured? Uh, obviously some games you only capture that stats afterwards and certain stats you only capture afterwards, depending on the magnitude of the game. Um, but how does it get captured? And, you know, you you mentioned there that you, you know, when you started at stats, you you started in such a capacity.
1: Yeah, so eventually, um, so, sorry, essentially the video gets added into a software program and it has a section with all the different events sort of on one side of it and the video on the other side. Mm. And you have um, usual arrow keys to move sort of a hundredth of a second either direction because you need to see sometimes you've got the first touch to a challenge, for example. And basically you go through the game slowly, pausing constantly and tagging events as they happen. Mm. And if you're doing that live, obviously you have a lot more pressure because you haven't got time to go back and look all the time, you're doing it quite fast. So usually more staff are involved doing it live. Maybe one staff member is doing the event. They're saying a pass or cross or shot. Another staff member might be be doing the player ID, which player is actually performing that action. Maybe even another staff member doing the pitch locations. Um, So there's all of that stuff involved. And of course, some of it is, um, I would say it's not objective. There is a subjective element to some of it. Um, So there are certain times where some events are coded with subjective element to it. So for example, I know with the stat you see in mainstream media, things like um, errors leading to a goal by a goalkeeper. There might be a a guideline of how that's coded, but in general, you know, generally it's going to be, there's going to be some subjective element from the individual person coding the game. Um, But you obviously try to remove that as much as possible and have everything consistent and objective. Uh, There's very, very clear guidelines on what exactly a cross is, what a shot is. Uh, For example, a cross, some people would be surprised at what isn't, isn't a cross or what Mm. isn't, isn't a dribble. Yeah. For example, dribble, um, it's it's not the same for all companies, but we had a very, 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 um, very tight definition that you had to actually engage a defender. You had to actually beat them and eliminate them. They couldn't still sort of be in your vicinity. And only then would you get a successful dribble. It's where some companies are a bit more liberal, you know, liberal with that. So it's quite complicated. And there is you know, the comp- all the different companies have different definitions for events. So that's why you have one company might have 10 shots in a game for a team and another with 11, yeah. because there's maybe a header from a corner that they thought was a shot one thought was a flick on. So that's where the sort of confusion I, or the subjective.
0: An interesting in. one is assists, because uh, you see sometimes on transfer market, they like to inflate the assists, be it by, you know, a, a keeper parrying the ball and going to a player. Then the guy that took the initial shot will get the assist. Um, yeah. how, did, how did it work for you at Stats, and how did you guys, you know, especially just, uh, you know, just for for interest sake, um, how did you guys tally assists?
1: Yeah, so for us, I mean, a long time ago it was much different, but before I left Stats, they were bought by Opta, so the two companies merged, and Opta's definition has sort of been the official one in the Premier League because they they held the official Premier League rights. So what Opta decided was an assist was what sort of was the official assist count. So they don't count something like um, having a shot parry that's scored. That is, that's not called, you know, count it as an assist. Or if a cross comes in and gets a bit of a deflection, it might not be an assist either. Um, and uh, yeah, as you said, transfer market are a bit more liberal. So they'll give things like winning a penalty. Yeah. But they I mean, look, people have different opinions and some people think Opta is the gold standard. That's the one you have to listen to. But like, if you think about a penalty, around 80% of them are scored. So there's not many chances a player can create for a teammate that's better than, you know, that is an actual better chance than winning a penalty. Mm. So if you win a penalty and you give your teammate 80% chance of scoring, you kind of, the you know, the definition of the word assist is basically helped that goal, you know, help. So yeah. you've definitely helped that goal be scored. So, you know, I like sort of telling assists and um, sort of penalties one into it and saying you might have 16 penalties one plus, I'm sorry, assist plus penalties one. Mm. But the official definitions are quite tight. You know, it has to be, a direct pass to the teammate who can't have a deflection. Um, it's, it's pretty tight.
0: Just to, you know, before we get back on the the stats train, um, I read on, on LinkedIn that you were involved with the Socceroos in their mm. Successful Asian Cup campaign. Um, you know, that's quite interesting. I only found out that just before this podcast. Uh, how were you involved there and how exactly did it work?
1: Yeah, so Prozone, which was stats' previous name, opened an Australian office and, um, they try to obviously sell the analysis services that the provide to the clubs there and the national team. The national team eventually wanted an analyst and they didn't really have people in Australia within the company that they could do that. So I got assigned to do it. Obviously, with the head of analysis was overseeing it as well and doing a lot of the communication for that. And yeah, basically, I had to provide the pre-matched analysis reports for the coach and the assistant coach. So that'd be looking at whether it's South Korea or Iran or Kuwait, wherever they were playing, looking at their... Uh, they danger men how they play and build up how they how they press how they where you know when when they lose the ball do they drop back into a shape do they look to sort of counter press um, they set plays you know danger men from corners uh, as far as even counter attacking from from their attacking corners how many men they leave back it's basically any details that could help the coach formulate his game plan um, and it was a great experience it was it was quite high stress because of the time difference so I was, I was working sort of through the night during that tournaments, and tournaments are stressful because it's like three days between matches. Yeah. So the minute one match ends, you start sort of starting with the the next one, or you you actually probably a few games ahead. But in the knockout rounds, you don't always know who the team's going to be playing. So at one point, we were sort of preparing. Um, we were like reports for both teams because you know the quarterfinal that they were playing against the winners of that quarterfinal could be to one of two teams. Yeah. So we'd have to prevent you know have to prepare both eventualities and have the those reports ready for both. Um, and that, yeah that was great. Um, it was a great experience, extremely intense, sort of three, three, four weeks. And then also post match they wanted um they want reports on their own performance, uh, whether that's video and data, as Josh decide between as a coaching staff which players were performed well, were they going to make changes for the next game. All that sort of thing so that was a great experience
0: you also worked as a football consultant um it doesn't say in your profile for which team and you don't have to to say on on the podcast which team it was but what exactly did that job entail and and how did that work i uh, for, yeah. for a premier league team let me just state that
1: <laughs> yeah so i don't mention publicly who the team is and that's because of the confidentiality agreement we had they they do allow me to put it on my cv and they do allow me to have a ref i do have a reference letter from them but in terms of media they they don't allow that but having said that i'm i haven't worked for in that role for, for a year but i'm still on their payroll and um, they very kindly kept me on their bonus scheme so until that um actually finishes then i probably could mention it publicly um so basically what happened is um a premier league club wanted to expand their, their scouting worldwide they wanted to have consultants on every continent and they wanted somebody in south africa who knew African football and had an analysis background. Uh, My Prozone background at that stage, I'd been at Prozone for two years, so that helped me a lot to get this role. And I started in 2014 working for this club and provided reports, information, team news, tactical tactical information, everything about um, players on the African continent. So they would use it for a multitude of things, but one of them was recruitment. And yeah, I was was in a really amazing experience. I mean, every couple of years I flew over to the UK. Um, we had sort of big meetings with all the staff, would meet the the head coach, the, the owner of the club, the head of recruitment, um, and we the the head coach would have a presentation for us and he'd sort of explain his style of play and what he looks for in different positions. So without mentioning names, the the first coach I met, he um his philosophy was that he really liked very attacking fullbacks um he said his dream goal would be if the right back crossed into the box for the left back to score mm-hmm. um yeah so he wanted us to you know find attacking fullbacks for him yeah um yeah and then the next had a different philosophy he liked for example his wing to be really hard working wide players you know he's not going to have a wide player that doesn't track back so he wanted a wide player that could fit into a different style of play so he's just both coaches would present to us, um, explaining exactly their philosophy, what type of players they're looking for. And then we use that to inform our reports because there's no real point of suggesting a target man for a team that doesn't cross the ball or mm. you know, or suggesting a small striker for a direct team that needs you know, needs a target man. So it was all style of play based. Yes, yeah, so I went over, um, I had three meetings with them. Um, two of them were with the same coach because they, they had a coach for, he was there for three or four years. Um, yeah, it was a really good experience to, to actually be in well, certainly out of your comfort zone because you're meeting someone who's, you know, you see on TV and, um, who's going to be questioning you and so forth. And that was really good. Um, and then eventually I left that role in May, uh, May last year in 2020, um, I think slightly because of COVID, but also just because they were sort of restructuring their departments. And I think a few clubs have actually done that now they've actually have a smaller staff that um, are more tight because you know they want to keep they want to keep this information in a smaller pool and um, yeah so I left Maroo May 2020 after six years which was it was obviously an incre- yeah amazing experience
0: yeah that sounds great um, I mean. Do you think South African coaches put a lot of emphasis in, in acquiring, you know, transfers in that fashion? Or do you think we tend to often look for for free agents? <laughs> you know, we know some coaches that some clubs they sign, you know, nine or ten players, not because they they fit the system, but rather because of the the price tag in the end of the day. And obviously there's a lot of benefits to 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 scouting a player properly and you know, especially if you're doing it on, on such a great scale and, and being involved in something like that and seeing both sides of the coin you know uh, must be must be quite cool for you and also frustrating when you when you're working in south africa
1: yeah south africa is a, a very strange market it's 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 more short term so you know players might sign even might mm-hmm. sign a three-year contract but get released after a year or even terminated after a few months. So there's less protection for players on, in their contracts, or at least a lot more clauses to break those contracts. Um, so that's that's definitely one factor, and obviously that leads to older players um, being signed a lot more of the time because you're not really caring if a player's got resale value. It's not really a market to sell players except possibly to Sundowns and to and to Pirates. Um, maybe Chiefs, if, if, if you know, if they're willing to spend money in a, in a future transfer window, would come into that. Um, but very few clubs actually spend transfer fees, so it's difficult for. A club um even like a, a club like super sports to to use this sort of method and then find players because they would cost big fees from other clubs so it's more of a you can understand why free agents are signed a lot and more sort of smaller transfer fees um but there's also, there's there are some very strange deals in south africa um you often will see a player who's been maybe a squad player at a relegated team or relegation threatened team move to one of the big three and you can kind of predict they won't get many minutes there and they end up moving on pretty soon afterwards. Um, so you do wonder if there's a lot of, you know, some sort of um, unsavory dealings off the, you know, off the pitch, you know, we know agents have quite a big say in transfers and a lot of clubs rely on the recommendations of agents. So it's it's not the most efficient way of doing things. And I think a PSR club that, you know, had a sporting director and had more of a, you know, better flows for their recruitment would probably have a lot more success. It's not really healthy for a club like you know, Chipper United or Baraka to sign twenty players every off season and release another twenty, because then obviously you have to build that that team understanding again, that team chemistry. Um, so the you know, with the turnover of coaches is hard too. You know, they, Chipper will appoint um, Dan Malasela and he has a very certain style of play, so he'll bring in one or two free agents that suit that. Um, he'll maybe release a couple of new sign, signings that were made just before he came in that he didn't doesn't like. And then we know maybe he gets fired after 10 matches and another coach comes in. So, yeah, it's it's not an efficient way of doing things. Yeah. Um, but a lot of these clubs don't even have analysts for their, their first team. So they're not going to have sort of head of recruit, you know, head of recruitments or those sort of structures in place.
0: Yeah, it's quite a bad thing to think that you don't have an analyst in, in the modern game. But, you know, we don't – I don't necessarily like to compare, but just to give – you know, people are, you know, inside view of, of what teams are doing abroad. You know, some teams, I think you mentioned it just before the podcast or earlier in this podcast that, you know, some teams will have, you know, nine to 10 people working on just the analytical side of the game where we in South Africa, I think sometimes the stigma is, and, you know, I probably was naive when I came into, into football myself thinking, you know, what does a video analyst do? You know, you, you see the guy there in the terraces with the with the video camera and you think, Okay, great. He's just videoing the game and he passes on the DVD to you know the coach at the end of the game. But obviously, there's a lot more than that. You know, you know what are some teams doing abroad that you know that that we aren't, and you know what exactly does your work entail?
1: Yeah, you know, I think overseas they see the value more. It's really as simple as that. I mean, of course, there's things like you know budgetary restraints in South Africa, um, but I think overseas they see the value and they understand that. Uh, you know, you need multiple analysts to to fulfil the full role because there's many facets. There's obviously analysing your next opponents, so that's a huge one because you know if you say, I mean, let's say Chelsea are playing Man City this weekend, they they need to know exactly how City might play in this match. Um, the coach might use that to inform his team selection. He might play different players than he would you know that he would play in a different match. So you have to have someone doing that section of it, the opposition analysis, and that takes a long time because you have to watch the last five or six matches. You might even go further back than that. You might watch your previous meetings against that team to see how they set up against you. Um, and then you need someone to analyse your own team's performances. So if you've played on Wednesday nights against Porto as Chelsea, that they, they, there'll be another analyst who will report back to the team on that match. What things went wrong, what things went well. They make some clips of some issues and there'll be a lot of data involved to, to have sort of, you know, against their benchmarks. There'll be physical data, how far players... How much ground players covered and, and especially at high intensity, high mm-hmm. intensity running. Um, so that's a whole another facet. And then there's the analysis side of that's um doing the things like just recording training and making clips of training sessions. Um, there's uh, like a big session that's based on recruitment, as you know, certainly overseas, um video will be used to to watch transfer targets and they'll be watched in person when you know when there's a no pandemic, coaches would fly out to watch games live. But you can be sure that video scouting was done to to narrow the pool down and using data as well. So you need a big team to to have best to really have best practice. And there's only a few teams in South Africa that actually um, have the budget, but also see the value in that. Um, because the thing is, of course, you know, and analysts aren't paid the most money. You you know, you're gonna have to have a pay. You know, analysts are generally quite low paid staff, and you could quite easily look at your playing squad and say, you know what, we don't need. Um, six wingers. We, the one guy might play one or two matches in a season. We can use that, you know, 25,000 a month or whatever it might be to get another analyst on board. And that might get you a few more points in that winger that just, you know, plays 10, 15 minutes, you know, three or four times a season. So I think it's just, it's changing kind of the way you look at it a bit and you can get more value out of it.
0: Do you think, um, you know, coaches like Rulani Mokwena, obviously Pitzo before him, you know, was quite big on, on analytics and analysing opposition, but Rulani, especially in, the, in in mainstream media, he seems to, you know, really enjoy that side of the game and, and tries to break the mould. And, you know, when you have a press conference with him, he actually goes quite in depth uh, you know, in depth with the opposition and he breaks down the, uh, you know, the key players, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that helps the analyst in the end of the day um, that coaches like that, are stepping into the limelight and, and really exposing the importance of, you know, guys like an analyst and, and, you know, in, in, in winning in the end of the day, I mean, because Sundowns are the most successful club in, you know, the league at this, at this point in time.
1: Yeah. 100%. I mean, when, you know, when he tweets out that he's setting an, op- you know, an opponent himself, it's, it's, I think it helps a lot because, you know, Sundowns have four analysts in their in their club or um, taking on different roles. And, of course, they—the club with the most money—so they can afford to pay those salaries. But I think it's always important, even if you have four analysts, that a coach does some of it himself, because you you can't really understand an opponent that's coming up unless you've watched those games yourself. Because you know it's maybe eight to ten minutes the video that's played for the players on the opponents, but there's a lot of things in between that you know how things come about. Even watching longer clips, you know, if you're watching a counter attack seeing how the other team was attacking and how they're building up and maybe, you know, maybe having men drawn out a bit and then there was a space opening up for when that ball's lost. All those things need to be, need to be watched more in more depth. And I think him highlighting it makes a massive difference. So I mean I would definitely encourage any anyone to kind of watch his press conferences in full. They are available often on on Twitter. But there's also, I mean, even not just um Relani McQuena, but like um Fado Davids David's Pirates, you know, their Twitter account, they put a halftime video at, every match where he speaks to the accountants um you know, sort of to the camera and gives some sort of first half analysis on what they need to improve. And I mean, it's kind of a hidden gem because no one really picks up on these. You don't see it retweeted a lot or commented on. You don't really see people um, putting this quotes out in media, but they're often, that's often the most interesting, you know, one of the most interesting things you can see, because that's really like how how coaches read the game from the sideline in the first half. And, and then you watch the second half and see, you know, did they, did they find the space, you know, the way he said they should do? Did they push the defensive line higher up because they were too deep, like he said? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that makes a huge difference to change the the paradigm around analysis. Um, but it's still a long way to go. I mean, most clubs in the PSR do have analysts now, but they're usually by themselves and, um, you know, they don't have really the resources behind them to to do everything they they need to do.
0: Obviously, it's quite topical considering they're playing in the NetBank Cup this week. And, you know, unfortunately, the podcast will only be available the day after um, the game actually takes place. But um, you know, your team—you mentioned there Fadlu, David's, obviously Joseph Zinbauer, uh, Rulani McQuena. Um, You know what? What have you seen from from them as coaches? And you know what? How would you describe them as coaches? And what tactical approaches do they bring? I know Rulani. You know. Emphasizes a lot of you know about position play and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, at Sundowns, it's, it's quite easy because you've got the budget um, to to buy the players you want. But what the, what have you seen from Lulani Mokwena and what type of coach is he? He's obviously, still very young. I think he's only thirty three years old. Um, but what type of coach is he? And and also on the other side, Joseph Zinbauer has now played, I think fifty, coached fifty games for Pirates. He has got an incredible record. Uh, what has he brought to the table and obviously helping them win the MTN8 has has really won over a lot of fans.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll start with Pirates if you don't mind, but I mean, it's kind of cliche that German coaches, you know, really like this high intensity football. And I think Pirates have tried to put intensity ahead of everything else in their play since he took over. Um, So even in their recruitments and some of the players they let go, you know, if they're players that can't play at this high tempo or who can't contribute to the, to the team in all phases of the game, whether they, you know, someone like, um, like, um, I mean, he is an amazingly talented player and by far part his most creative player in recent years. And then, at, you know, the end of last season, he was let go and joined Amazulu and he's just, he's sort of one of those players, the rest of the team has to kind of, um, kind of balance out, you know, you need to be a bit more defensive in other areas to give him that freedom to play. And I think Pirates are a team that's sort of very holistic. They want every player to be able to contribute in every phase. So they want everyone to be able to to, to be involved in the build-up. They want everyone to be able to press. They want everyone to be able to play in transition. um, not press if they lose the ball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, kind of I'd kind of describe it as intensity uber alas, basically, because that's kind of what they've gone for, you know, especially with the, that Mamele departure. It, it sort of was the signaling of that. Um, and I know that's the way they train is very intense as well. Um, but what I would say is um this might not be necessarily the right season to do that. You know, you've seen clubs like Liverpool um, hit, you know, hit a bit of a wall um trying to play high intensity football this season because it's so different during a pandemic. It's not just the the schedule's tighter, it's also the you know, just the general fatigue of, of us as humans to, you know, for all the stuff that we're going through, it's hard to be able to play at an intensity like that all the time. You have players who've had COVID, and they miss training that affects your training that affects how they come back so it does feel like possession-based teams are doing a bit better you see obviously our city are just kind of um keeping the ball and resting with the ball and you know sort of um keeping some energy back and doing just the bare minimum in some games to to win not sort of winning 5-0 and 6-0 a lot but getting to 2-0 and taking their foot off the gas that seems to be the you know the route to success this season um, and I think that's kind of mirrored in the PSL. You know, um, I thought Pirates could probably win the league this year, considering how um, they did when Zimbabwe first came in and he had that amazing run initially. But from the bio bubble, they had that really tough run where they couldn't score goals. They drew a lot of matches and they kind of fell out of the title race. Um, and this season, I think they've been, it's been very disruptive for them. They had a lot of new signings. It's also very hard with the short preseason. Now they've had an enormous, an enormous number of injuries. Obviously, with this, they had their all 3 frontline strikers out injured at one point, and they were playing Dion Horto up front. Mm. Um, so I think they've done quite well in that context, but I think there, is, there are still some doubts about how aesthetically pleasing it is. It's not necessarily always the most exciting football. Um, and I think it probably would be if you had guys like Lorch and you know um, Gabardini Mahango and so forth fit every week. Um, so I'm keen to see how they do, possibly next season, but... I mean you keep we keep saying that about pirates. Next season's their season, next season's their season. Uh, at some point they do need to actually um you know, take it all the way to the to the PSL title because they've been close. They've been four points, six points, etc. off the off of Sundowns in recent years. Um Yeah, I mean Sundowns, they I mean, the, they've done an amazing job this season, obviously to lose your your head coach like they did with Pit Store, and they've pretty much just gone on like, you know, business as usual, winning games like crazy, twenty-eight match unbeaten run. Um yeah, you have to be impressed by the work they're doing there. Obviously they have they have the best players in the PSL and they they have the best squad, which does help. They have a fantastic technical team. They've got, you know, two head coaches and then Steve Compella is the senior coach below that. I mean, there's basically three head coaches. They've got four analysts. Um, even with losing staff with Pizza Mossamani going to you know going with him to our Achli, they've managed to replace them really well. Um so you have to be impressed, but I think that's—I think a lot of it comes from that structure. You know, if you lose the coach, but nothing much else changes in the club, you still have really good departments for analysis and for conditioning, um, for goalkeeper coaching and everything. It's not going to have a huge effect on you if you have good players. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as you said, they—they are more position-based. Um, whether this this formation changes slightly between game to game, they play a diamond sometimes. You know, sometimes they play with three behind one striker. Sometimes they play with false nine less so this season with um, Peter Shalolile, but um So they, it changes a little bit, but it doesn't really change a lot in the style. It's a back four, usually a couple of holding players and then a front four of sort of narrow interlinking players. Um, and I've said this a few times. I mean, Sunlands are not unpredictable sort of in their game plan. If you're assessing them before game, analyzing them, you know exactly what they're going to do. Um, it's just that you can't really stop them. They're just really good at what they do. Yeah. And they're inventive within that structure. You know, they're with heels and... One touch play and interplay—that's the unpredictability.
0: If we can just quickly touch on Peter Shalulile, obviously the talk of the town, and I think a lot of Bafana Bafana fans was hoping that he wasn't from Namibia. <laughs> um, you know, he's he's taken you know like a duck to water at, at Mamelodi Sundowns. Obviously, a very hard worker. When I spoke to Simone Connolly on the podcast, she she singled him out as being the hardest worker. Uh, you know, obviously they spent time together at Highland Park. Uh, what has he brought to their game? You know, something different, and he he seems to be scoring at will, and even at international level, he just can't stop scoring.
1: Yeah, he's an amazing player. I mean, he has he has missed a few chances. He could have even more goals this season, but he's really good in the air. But he's also really quick. And I mean, I'm I'm just focusing on two sort of more physical attributes. But um, it's not it's quite rare to have players that are quick and good in the air, and. It's such a handful for teams to play against that when it's also a player that works so hard for the team. That can run channels, draw fouls, can bring teammates into play. Um, you know he can play as a low number nine, but he used to play at the start of the season, sort of more of a split striker. So he was playing more towards the right hand side with a, with a diamond behind him, but still sometimes defending. You know tracking some left back. You know opposition left backs. It's just a team player, but it's also just an all round handful. So it's, he's perfect. He's a perfect player, and he's that also makes him perfect for the you know for the calf competitions because you play on you know less good pitches and you're playing against more physical opponents and you need to sometimes simplify your game. And he's a player that can run into the channels and you know just get you by you some time. Sort of in some ways like um, Tokila runty did for Bafana when we were doing decently under Shakes Mashaba. You know, like he would be good in those away qualifiers, and we don't really have someone like that now that can do that dirty work.
0: Yeah. I remember him scoring twice against Nigeria. I think in in uh, in Nigeria itself. Uh, I'd love to go through every coach and you know talk about their tactics, but uh, obviously we don't have time for that. Um, but maybe we could just quickly touch on on a guy like Benny McCarthy. Uh, I think you know Amazulu, you know apart from sundowns, or you know the talk of the town as well with, with Benny and and what he's brought to the club. Uh, you know that winning streak they've gone on. I know their owner came in and he said he wanted a top four finish and it seems not too far off now, you know, being what's it second on the log. Um, how impressed have you been by them? And obviously, Benny, being South Africa's arguably, but probably South Africa's the greatest ever player. Um, you know, how exciting is it to see him become, you know, quite a good, astute coach so quickly in his, uh, you know, coaching career?
1: Yeah, it's great. I mean, obviously, I followed him very closely from his days at to Cape Town City and I think his first season in coaching, he was... Um he I think he, he almost tried to channel Mourinho a bit too much. Like some big games he was quite defensive and tried to, you know, try to go with that style of play. And then I think in his second season he sort of came into his own a lot more with Cape Town City team were playing amazing football. Probably the best football in the league that season. But also, yeah, leaking goals, but amazing to watch. Really clear style of play. Um, I don't think that you could have foreseen him doing as well at Amazulu as quickly as he has. I mean, they, they did have a quite a good transfer window. They signed um, a lot of players from Pirates that weren't in the plans there. Um, of course, Mamele is an amazing player. And, and I mean, a player I wouldn't have got rid of as if I was you know, in charge of Pirates, but um, he had a superb start to the season. They have recruited really well, um, but they also have a clear style of play, but they also have a good pragmatic element to them because you have games like when you go play trip away at Caesar um, Dukashi Stadium like they did and the, the pitchers see and rubbish and you you can go and you can play your nice style of play which you probably end up losing and they sort of adjusted and they got a 1-0 win so they've been grinding out some results and scoring late and that's not always sustainable but it's it's extremely I think you can take a lot of optimism that they're doing this well this early um, obviously they need to have another good transfer window but I don't see any reason why they couldn't they can't actually finish second this season and play in the catch-em's league next year which would be un- unbelievable really um, and then challenge in coming seasons. So I mean, I'm excited to see how Benny does. But he's another one that's been backed by the club. So they gave him as you know his assistant coach that he wanted. He got to bring in his analyst to come you know assist the, the analyst that's already there. He's got all the structure behind him that he that he wanted and asked for. And he when you feel backed as well, you you know it's it's not just that it helps your job day to day, but it, you, you feel different if you're backed by the club. You know you're more invested in it. Um, and yeah, it's. I think that's they. The club deserve a lot of credit for doing that as well, not just Benny. Yeah. Um, but of course, he's doing an amazing job.
0: Yeah, obviously, you know, anyone listening to this podcast would love to talk about Man- Manlan Sakazi and you know arrows and Brandon Truta. You know, doing an amazing job in his first season in DSV Premiership, and you know Gavin Hunt. Obviously, talk about Kaiser of chief strides for Ben, but maybe that opens the door for another podcast in the future. Um, Graham before I let you go though I would love to To get your insight On your favourite players In the league You know you spoke about Momela there And I don't know If it was If it's your Ajax Cape Town influence And Ajax missing out on him If I'm not mistaken He was there at mm-hmm. the start Wasn't he And they
1: just Yeah uh, he had a trial I think <laughs> Or he was on the books For a short period of time Yeah
0: yeah. So I could pick up Mamela as one of your favorites, but but who else in the league do you really enjoy watching? And if you had a club and working at a club today, who would you like to, to sign And Who would be the first few players you'd be whispering in the head coach's ear?
1: Hmm. That's a tough one. <laughs> might need a second to think about this. Um, I'm guessing you might have to edit this section, actually. Let um, me think. Well... I think some players I'd like to highlight actually that have been really good this season that maybe aren't maybe favorites of mine, but the guys that I've enjoyed watching this season, one of them is Makaola at Amazulu. Um, he obviously joined from Highlands Park and he's been, I would say not far off being a player of the season contender. Mm-hmm. May, I, I mean, he wouldn't win it, but I think, he, you know, in a final six, he could be in there. Um, he's been amazing in midfield for Amazulu, just breaking up play. Um, and then, Peter Shololilo obviously, would be another one. Um, and then another ex-Highlands Park player is um, Mbata at TX Galaxy. I and mean, he's been amazing as well, playing mm-hmm. behind two strikers there, um, setting up a lot of chances, scoring goals, assisting goals. Um, he was a massive part of Ondergarma um, turning around bottom place when he took over to moving into sort of a top eight um, challenge. Um, so they would probably be three that I'd pick. Um, in terms of recruitment, um, hmm. You know, there's some players. I think that that it's really time for them to go to big clubs. Guys like Tarek Feelys and stuff. I think actually he should have probably gone even a year or two ago. Um, I think he could play for any of the big three clubs without any trouble. Um, Another four player
0: that they missed out on. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird one, but I mean, but he. It's, the thing about him at Cape Town City, like he he defends in such an exposed system. You know, they don't park the bus. They don't have a lot of um, bodies around him to support him. So he's often. Yeah. Sort of defending big spaces and he's got a lot of sort of high risk, high stakes defending and he does it so well. Um so he's a player i definitely like to see in the Buffana setup as well. Um that would definitely be one. And I mean other players are like, hmm, Um I think one that's probably doesn't get enough credits and that's actually not playing much at the moment is um Ricardo Nascimento. Um he's one of my favorites. Um he's definitely I'd say definitely the best defender in the Premier League in the PSI at, Premier Soccer League at, at building up from the back. Um, if you're playing against Sundals and he's, you're expecting him to start, you almost have to tailor your, your your whole pressing and your game plan around stopping him from building up, which I think shows his quality a lot. Um, I think uh, some other guys are like are the more multifunctional ones that can play a few positions. Um, guys like Mabue um, and Glovo, Makaringa, those guys who played at Marisburg together and just played like breakneck speed. I uh, really like those three players. Um, so that's probably my list.
0: Cool, that's great. You talk about Nascimento there, and uh, you know, obviously, left-footed centre-backs seem to be. Yeah, you know, I know Pep Guardiola's, you know, has brought in a few left-footed uh, left-footed centre-backs in his time at Manchester City. Um, you know, how how different are they, and how important are they to the the modern? modern coach you know it seems like left-footed players are really sought after um from a tactical point of view how sought after are they for for head coaches and for clubs and how different do they make the game especially from from build-up play and just opening angles for, for the players in front of them
1: yeah i mean, I think you nailed it it's so important because you know if you have a right center right footed left center back um they're not usually particularly comfortable on their left foot. They are usually more comfortable on their left foot than left footers are on their right on their right. But it often means you can kind of squeeze them against that touchline and press that way. Um, even the angle of their passing means sometimes the, the, the way the pass curls can sort of go behind teammates instead of, you know, being in their path for them to sort of carry the first touch forward. It's massively important. You can understand clubs recruit from that perspective, especially overseas, you know, Guardiola signed. Um, Laporte, but then he signed Nathan Ake because he needed a backup left-footed centre-back. Yeah. Um. Obviously, Weirdly, really neither play most weeks. Um, yeah. But they've changed style of play slightly, fair enough. Um. But you see, at announced with Nascimento and Labusa, it's massively important for teams that play out from the back. And obviously, there's always a shortage of them. I mean, uh, you'd think that you'd see a lot more left-footed centre-backs going for like massive transfer fees and so forth in world football but um you don't really see that uh because just so few of them that are actually t- that good mm-hmm. yeah it's important and i mean are one of the few clubs that you you would have you'll find that have played two two left-footed center backs in this you know together in a back four now Cimento actually played right center back a lot um last season and the season before because labusa was playing with him to the left and I mean, even at left at right centre back, he was amazing at building up. Like the angles on quite right for him and it's a bit looks a bit awkward sometimes, but he can still find passes to his players between the lines, which I think kind of highlights his quality even more. Yeah,
0: most definitely. Grant, thanks for your insight. Thanks for your time. Um I won't keep you much further. I think there's a Chiefs game coming up against Morocco, is it? And then the big net bank cup quarter final. Excited for the weekends, in our know, football as well. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your insight. I really appreciate it. And hopefully there's another podcast in the near future.
1: Awesome. Thanks, AB.
0: Ciao. Thank you for listening to Disky Discussions. If you have any questions or guests you'd like me to have on the show, please hit me up at Basson on Twitter or on Instagram. Stay safe, like, subscribe, aware.